Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Today's guest, Joey Zwillinger, is co-founder of one of my favorite mission-driven brands, Allbirds. Joey's a former biotech engineer and renewable materials expert. And today, we're going to talk about how we can deal with eco-anxiety, what to look for when we go shopping for more sustainable brands, including what to look for in a label, and also about the future of renewable materials. Joey, so great to have you here. Welcome. Really good to be here, Jason, and great to meet you. So, you know, as I mentioned before we started taping, uh, you know, love what you guys are doing at Allbirds, and I bonded with your co-founder, Tim, over our lower back pain struggles years ago, combined with uh, raising little kids and stress and sleep and all that fun stuff of starting a a company. So, (laughs) great to finally beat you as well. Yeah, I feel like it's, uh, we can all commiserate on that a bit, but I hope your back's doing well. (laughs) It is, thank you. So, you know, let's start with this word sustainability. It's a bit of a nebulous term and so many people are confused. If you were to do a survey, if you were to stop people in the streets of New York or San Francisco and say, you know, what does sustainability mean? I feel like you'd get a hundred different answers. So I'm curious from your perspective, uh, being an expert in the field, what does it mean? And then part two, what, what does it really mean in apparel in your world? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. And I do think that Rightfully so, this is a nebulous term, and it should stay that way, frankly. Sustainability means so many different things because the the definition of that word is really around making sure that you don't extract too much from the earth when it's in the environmental context, when you are making a product or doing some kind of an activity so that we can do that activity or consume that product or do whatever while while doing it in a manner that's not going to take too much from the earth so that it, it can continue to thrive in its in its original state. And so for for apparel, what does it mean? There's so many different things. There's animal welfare, there is uh, chemical disposal in terms of how you process fabrics. There is also social compliance around how you treat your workers and things like that. And and for us, what what we've chosen, and I think it's it's really it's really important to narrow in on the problem that you're trying to solve, so that you don't try to be all things to all people. But you know, one of the things that we believe very strongly is that climate change is the problem of our generation. And we, we used to think it was going to be something for 2050. Now we know it's something that we need to deal with today. And and so how do we affect climate change? There's a very simple scorecard for that. And that is the carbon dioxide emissions that you that you produce as a company throughout your supply chain when you're making a product and how that affects the, the uh, global warming potential of the atmosphere. And, you, and, and the companies that are making products need to take responsibility for that pollution. And so that to us is by far and away the most important thing that any apparel company can do and any consumer can ask of apparel companies. So, you know, when I, when I think of our own well-being and sustainability, I think that people are, are getting it with food and then they're starting to get it with beauty. And then if I go to apparel, what I think is people just, they're, they're into it, they like the concept, but they're not sure about the questions they should ask, the materials they should look for, and more specific with regards to materials, you know, what what is the difference between a natural and synthetic? Yeah, so I would say foundationally, I personally believe that petroleum should be something of the past and that 
plastic from petroleum is a stupid concept. <laughs> Yet everything that we wear and everything that's on our feet is a bucket of plastic. And people don't even know that. Like, you know, you think about everyone, even the word polyester, that sounds, um, that sounds like something very familiar to us. Well, it turns out it's just a bucket of petroleum. That's all it is. And it's been refined for, uh, you know, 75, 100 years by chemical engineers, dating back to when Rockefeller started really industrializing oil. And they have squeezed out every dollar from the barrel of oil, and they've made plastics out of it to increase the value to to companies who extract oil from the earth. And that has created a very unsustainable cycle. And so, you know, look, the, the singular scorecard that we would we would urge customers to use, and we've really started to adopt this and, and broadcast it quite broadly, is what is the carbon dioxide emission that the company's making for each product? So if we have a, a number on our product, which we do, that says exactly how much carbon we've emitted in the manufacturing of that product, then a customer or consumer can understand what the impact of that product is. Now, synthetic versus natural, if you foundationally believe what I believe, that plastic from petroleum is stupid, which I think everyone should, then you start to really understand that, well, the subset of, of materials that we should be looking at are naturally derived. They should be made from a natural source. So, for example, we use a lot of merino wool from some of the most fantastic sheep with the fantastic land in the world out of New Zealand. We use uh, sustainably harvested eucalyptus fiber from a farm down in South Africa. We use sugar cane to make the foam material for the bottom of our shoes. We use vegetable oil in the insoles. In some of the materials that we, we have in, in our socks, it's a blend of these things. And we strive to minimize the use of any synthetic material, which we would define as uh, being derived from, from petroleum. So, so much to unpack there. So petroleum being dumb, you know, I, I remember just the Super Bowl this year and Porsche doing their first Super Bowl commercial in I think something like 25 years. And sure enough, it's for an electric vehicle. And every major automotive company is going all in on electric in 2020 and 21. It's 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 super cool to see. So I think you're right. The moment has arrived. Um, you, you mentioned a couple other things. So like on the subject of carbon, uh, you know, let's talk about that. So carbon offsets what are they can you like define like carbon offset and why is it so critical why why essentially should we care so the carbon let, let me just step back for a second when you make a product when a company makes a product there is there is an emission that comes out of that and so uh for ours for example when we make a shoe out of merino wool there's uh, there's some fantastic aspects of Merino where carbon is actually taken out of the atmosphere by the grass that the, that the sheep chew to eat. Um, but there's also emissions in that process. And the farming and, uh, you know, when, after, after sheep eat some of that grass, they burp. And that burp uh, releases methane into the atmosphere. And that has a global warming potential uh, that's quite significant. And so we count that as pollution that we create into in, in the manufacture of our process. And we count exactly how much down to the gram of each uh, uh, for each of our products of how much is emitted in that life cycle. 
And every day we work as a company to reduce the amount of carbon that we're emitting. And we're using, a, we're making some pretty big investments into regenerative farming, which I'd be happy to talk about later in terms of how we can minimize, in fact, make a carbon negative. So when our wool fiber that we harvest from New Zealand, we are actually working on a way where that sucks more carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere than, than it took to create that wool. And so we're, we're working every day. We now have measured exactly what our impact is on carbon emissions, and now we work every single day to reduce that. In the meantime, though, while we're not perfect uh, and we still do have positive emissions into the atmosphere, we need to pay for that. And our belief is that every company should pay for it. And if every company paid for their pollution and tried to mitigate it until they become zero, they pay for that pollution, then the world would not be facing climate change as we know it today. And so we've taken this this responsibility and self-imposed this carbon tax. So every every gram of pollution that we make into the atmosphere in terms of global warming potential, we pay for it. So how do we pay for that? We pay for it with carbon offsets. And carbon offsets are projects that sequester carbon from the atmosphere into a different format or it stops the release of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And so there's a number of different kinds of projects that that achieve that goal, and we finance those projects, and we finance those projects for an equivalent amount of what we produce in the manufacture of our products. So if we produce 10 kilograms of carbon for a pair of shoes, we will pay for 10 kilograms of carbon to be sequestered from the atmosphere through one of these projects that we finance, and then we rely on a third party to make sure that that is an offset that has the highest standards in terms of making sure that it's accurately counted, that it lasts for uh, ever, frankly, and that it's not simply like, you know, you plant some trees and then somebody cuts it down the next year. So you actually shouldn't really be counting that. But it's truly incremental sequestration of carbon from the atmosphere. And as a consumer, I, I, I see that offering a lot of places. So something I've seen, you know, when I fly is the opportunity to potentially offset carbon. And I'm seeing more and more companies offer this. So as a consumer, I can look around and see, like, is this something that's offered if, if I'm concerned with my carbon footprint, right? Yeah, you can, and I just I just think that it shouldn't be the burden of the consumer. The companies that are making this stuff need to pay for it. And frankly, government should force companies to pay for their pollution. And this is real pollution. We are creating a cataclysmic issue as the private sector produces things and is not bearing the responsibility for that pollution. It's not okay if a company was manufacturing a whole bunch of things, uh, a whole bunch of widgets, and all the waste that they produce, they just chucked into the river. This is the exact same thing. You cannot produce huge amounts of pollution out of your smokestacks when you manufacture and not take responsibility for that. So governments need to force businesses to do it. Businesses need to bear the responsibility. And consumers will pay for it in the form of higher prices, most likely. Um, and, and all of our products are priced with carbon emission and offsets that we require that our company pay is already baked into that price. So you don't need to worry about it. So every shoe, sock, or other other good that you buy from Allbirds, you, will, you can rest easy that that has the lowest impact that we possibly can make it, and it also any remaining impact we've offset for you. So f- for me personally, I think I can hardly rely on government for anything these days. I don't, I don't know if <laughs> I'm alone there, but as what, what can we look for in products? You know, what are the questions we should ask you know, in terms of labels, offsets? You know, again, I think with food and beauty, they're, there's, they're, they're generally ahead of the curve. But, like, what are the things we should ask for? Because I think if we, you know, and it's sad, but if we rely on government, it, you know, may not happen. 
I would hope that people start to look at our labels as a beacon for what people should do. And, and um, we're hopeful that when you look at a, a product from us, if you look at a shoe, our wool runner, you'll see a sticker on the on the actual product and you'll look on the website and you'll see the actual carbon that's emitted. And you should be racing to zero. Any product that, that has the carbon emission on the product and the closer to zero it is, the better it is. And, you know, so far as it's accurately counted and whatnot, but take, take a, give your companies the benefit of the doubt on that for now. If it goes to zero, buy it. If it's super high and it's much bigger than the, the industry average, don't buy it. And I, I think that that's a great, it's, it's just like a food label. If you know, you know, the FDA in the United States has required food companies to put on how many calories are on, how many f- grams of fat, how many sh- uh, grams of sugar, and what are the ingredients in there. Apparel doesn't have that. All apparel has is what the material blend is. That's the only real requirement and where it's manufactured. And and no consumer can understand from those that small amount of information what the carbon impact is. So the private sector and the apparel industry and footwear industry needs to evolve to actually be transparent on what this is. And we're, we're taking a leading a leading mantle in the charge for that. And we would hope that you look at that. Now, look, there's other third parties that can be helpful. We we are, we are use eucalyptus that's Forest Stewardship Council certified. There's paper products that also use FSC certifications that you can see in a lot of different mailers you get in the mail and, and other things. Um, you know, there's things like um, in terms of wool, ZQ, Merino, there's B Corp certifications. But I would say these are all, these are all, um, fairly broad standards that don't actually tackle the specific issue that's most egregious at the moment, which is climate change and what consumers can do to fight it. And so I would urge customers to demand of companies to disclose very clearly what the carbon impact is of their products. And and that's that's the thing we've just started to to do on every single one of our products. And I and I would hope that consumers really gravitate to that message because it's so simple and so uh, and so foundational to what sure. we need to solve. So you're also a consumer. You know, who else do you look at? Like who else do you think is doing a good job in this arena? You know, what products do you buy? I'm curious. Yeah, I think um I, I don't think anyone has gone all the way to transparently disclosing uh, exactly what their carbon impact is. So, um, so that hasn't happened. There, there, but there are some great examples out there of companies that are really trending in the right direction. Um, you know, in the auto industry, you, you noted, you know, Tesla has totally changed the game in terms of what the automotive industry is investing in from an R&D perspective, and everyone is going electric vehicle. And I think Tesla's done a really phenomenal job of looking at the carbon life cycle uh, of an automobile and manufactured something that consumes uh, zero uh, liquid transportation fuel in the form of petroleum, and hopefully receives its its uh, energy from green electrons, things like solar. So I think that's a great example. Um, you know, there's a, an apparel company where I'm a really big fan of the CEO called Reformation, uh, and Yael is the is the CEO, and they've done a really great job of putting putting a ref score on things and showing consumers transparently how each garment is. Um, what the impact of each garment is. And, and I think there's a whole bunch of, you know, method soap products uh, is a, is another great example of cleaning in the home using bio-based materials instead of synthetics from petroleum. So, you know, historically, the bulk of cleaning solutions in your home have been just, again, 
you know, jugs of petroleum and, <laughs> and chemicals that are derived from petroleum. It's, it's incredible when you think about in your daily life, if you just look around the room that you're in right now, virtually everything has petroleum in it. And it is so ubiquitous in your life. And and if you just start to uh, like think about what is what is an alternate reality where that that didn't happen, where all the innovation and all the chemical engineering, energy and resources went to understand how we could take naturally derived materials and turn those into that ubiquitous form of of products that we use every day, we would be in a completely different place right now. And so that's that's the direction that we want to head. And and I think. All these labeling questions that you're asking and looking for companies that are doing great things, consumers can lead the charge. I think if they demand it from companies, frankly, politicians are going to follow. And and while, by and large, the most impact comes from oil and gas companies in in terms of what's happening in climate change and and the construction industry, concrete, et cetera. But politicians need to change those companies' behavior. And how do we get politicians to do it? We do it with, with the things that people buy that are emotional. And those things are shoes, apparel, and and consumer products. Those are emotional purchases. You express yourself and you express your values by by what you wear and what you do and what what, what kind of products you consume. And uh, you've noted in beauty and, and food as well. I think you know people who are buying organic food and um, and shop in certain locations that sell predominantly products from organic farming. That that is that is a way of expressing your values and it's a way of, of making yourself feel like you're doing the right thing uh, for your body and also for the world. And I think that's that's the way that politicians are gonna come around to the right place here is they're gonna be laggards and consumers need to start making these decisions. Uh, and if companies give them the the clarity on what to look for, we're gonna be in a better spot. So that, that's the role that we see ourselves playing here. It's, it's just giving consumers a simple way to understand what it is that they they should be consuming and why and and what the impact of these products are. And if everyone shared the impact, there'd be such a clear barometer to make a decision as a consumer. You could say, what's the price? What's the quality? And what's the what's the carbon emission? And th- those are just three simple things that you can you can look at. And and we're trying to give everyone that that comprehensive lens so that they can make the best decision for themselves and for the world. Yeah, I always say people vote with their dollars, and if you arm them with the right information, they'll vote appropriately. And we've seen it in food. You know, I think I think big food changed because consumers demanded it. They demanded better for you products, and then they adapted. And the same thing's happening happening in beauty. And you know, our hope is it's you know happening in apparel right now. But uh, on that subject, I, you mentioned re- regenerative farming, and I think it's so interesting because. It's definitely very topical right now. We've talked about that with Paul Hawken on the podcast and most recently Mark Hyman, who wrote a great book, Food Fix, and Regenerative Ag was a big part of it. So we've, we've heard about regenerative farming in the context of food, but in the context of apparel is interesting. So what, can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. It's, it's something I think everyone should be excited about. Um, we are very excited about the idea that regenerative farming is – uh, is a is a is a process and a set of techniques that the ag sector farmers can can utilize that can solve a huge amount of the problem. I mean, if if a subset of farmers deployed uh, regenerative agriculture as the way they farm their land, we could probably take out seventy five to a hundred percent of the carbon that's that's polluted every year. And without changing the way we even consume or the way we make stuff, 
um, just the ag sector alone. And that's not inventing. It doesn't rely on any big inventorship. What it is is a set of techniques where there's kind of rotational uh, crops or rotational grazing when you're talking about animals that it, that's done in a way where the soil is maintained and the soil actually sucks in a huge amount of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And, you know, what's happened is in the industrialization of the agriculture sector, you look at far, uh, farms in, in the Midwest and the United States, you know, making corn and wheat and cotton, they are taking a huge amount from that soil. And the soil is not performing as well as it has. And we've tried to use chemicals and biotechnology and seeds in order to, to fix the problem rather than the simple fix of, you know, getting better soil. And if that soil is better, you're going to get better yield on your crops and it's going to sequester a huge amount of carbon dioxide into the into the ground, into that soil. And so if we if you think about taking uh, cotton T-shirts and using regeneratively farmed cotton, all of a sudden you can have what was a pretty harmful agricultural crop when it's done in the current industrial sense of, of cotton farming. And you can turn that into something that's sucking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and being part of the solution, not part of the problem. Yeah, regenerative. So it's, ag, it's an area that's so really exciting. exciting. Yeah, so exciting. It, it's think, very, very exciting. We're doing it with we're doing it in, in New Zealand with our sheep for for the merino sheep. We're funding projects through our carbon fund in Montana for grazing projects where they are sequestering carbon, and we're trying to study this in a way that quantitatively uh, ensures that the carbon is really coming out of the atmosphere and is sequestered in that soil. It's just a win-win for everyone. It's better for you. It's better for the environment in terms of food. It, it, it produces more nutritious food. And it's it's cool that guys like you are doing it. And even G- General Mills, you know, General Mills is buying a regenerative ag. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a big deal. Um, and so something you also mentioned along the lines, you were talking about the sheep and we were talking about materials. And you mentioned eucalyptus, which leads me that that's not... Eucalyptus does not come to mind when I think of like <laughs> interesting, exciting renewable materials. And you're an expert in renewables. And what are interesting new materials that that you're intrigued by that you think we're going to be talking about a couple of years from now that people are going to be using? Yeah, there, there's there's a big body of options out there. So there's there's things um, as simple as sheep. And as simple as cotton using regenerative agriculture, that frankly they sound unsexy, but they are quite exciting from a potential to change our our future from climate change. Yes, the other area, or I've spent a, a lot of my life, has been in green chemistry and and biotechnology to make a difference. And there's a whole bunch of exciting uh, projects that that companies can start to look for if they have the will. You know, one, one example I hope to happen in the future uh, in a fashion that is very broadly adopted. But we, we went down to Brazil and worked with a large a large company called Braskem. And we took a waste stream off of sugarcane production. And, and we convinced them to invest a whole bunch of money to take that waste stream from sugarcane production, use biotechnology as a first step, and then chemistry as a second step to convert that waste stream into the foam material that is the largest, I think it's the largest component in the entire sneaker industry. It's a foam called EVA. And turn that into something that's made from nature instead of made from a barrel of oil. And so using modern techniques 
Um, you know, it's not that modern, frankly. These, these things have been around for many decades. But using techniques that are that are relatively new, um, we can we can take agricultural products that are that are made and manufactured in the in the most sensible way for the environment, and turn those into replacements for petroleum. And so I think that using some modern tools and also relying on some old tools like that regenerative ag and and just basic natural materials that come from the land, that is the way forward. The tools are there. Every, all the tools are there. No, nothing needs to be invented from here in order to solve our problem, which I, I hope gives a lot of people optimism because it's, it's just about willpower and it's just about getting consumers um, galvanized to to demand change from companies. And once companies get pulled in that direction, governments will follow. So I, I do have a huge amount of optimism in, in this. And I, I do think materials are going to be a foundational place that, that we need to start with. And, and that's why, given that those are the highest impact in terms of the environment, that's the area that we focused as a company. I love it. Sugar cane, something we should probably all be having less of, we can use as a renewable material. So... That's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned you're optimistic, and I think that there's so many people suffering from a bit of eco-anxiety, and, you know, rightfully so. You know, what what's your message for, for people, you know, freaking out a little bit right now in terms of what's happening with climate change and how timelines have been accelerated? You know, what, what's your message? What can people do? Yeah, I, I would say just demand demand transparency. And if the company is willing to share what the impact is uh, and you believe that the impact is low, buy it. And if you don't, then don't. And, and I think, as you said, voting with your wallet is something that is increasingly important. And I think what we've been shocked by in the short space of four years since we started selling shoes to consumers is, you know, four years ago, we always believe that that people buy great products, and that's it. They don't buy sustainable products. They just buy great products. What has changed in the last four years is that consumers have told us, yeah, we agree. We want to buy great products, and that's you know full stop, but truly great products are sustainable. And, and so we've been feeling that. And that, that, that has emboldened us to share a lot more information that we've, we've always been studying and we've known, but we're now willing and emboldened to share because we think consumers are asking for a clear way to, to understand the question that you just posed. What is my impact and how can I make an educated decision? But don't make me go and read journals from uh, academics. Like <laughs> I don't have time for that. Make it simple for me. Give me a score. Give me a scorecard. So we've, we've really answered that call by putting a singular scorecard that just says how much carbon was emitted. And and hopefully that's that's what people ask for from every company, for every product that is manufactured. So my last question is around the future. And so it's 2020. If you could, you know, wave your magic wand, what do you think we're going to be talking about in sustainability, say, you know, three years from now? Well, unfortunately, it's the, it's the same topic we're talking about today. We're early in this part of the solution. Like if, if we don't act in the next five years, the we're we're, we're starting to get towards tipping points that are going to create irreparable harm. And I think you see all the fires happening. You see droughts happening. These are generally, from a trend perspective, are are coming at the populations of the world 
because of climate change, and people are realizing that more and more. So unfortunately, this is not something we can change overnight, and I'm expecting that the next decade, frankly, forget about three years, is going to be exclusively about this topic and what we can do to solve this. And we're going to see pockets of hope, and then we're going to see, unfortunately, big speed bumps along the way, whether it be you know these big legacy industries that don't want things to change because that's where their livelihoods and economic incentives are from, and we got to fight through this. So this is this is the fight for our generation and 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 carbon equivalent emissions is the barometer and that's what that's what we got to focus on and we got to demand it as consumers of every company we consume from amen to that we'll close there joey thanks so much thank you jason 